Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener with the Living Savior Ministries today. Let's come to the Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we worship you and praise you and thank you for the Word of God that you so graciously preserved for us and given to us. Lord, I ask you to bless the Word today as it goes out. May you use your Word to quicken men's and women's spirits to the walk, walk in holiness and to walk in love before you. We truly want to be true, dedicated sons of God that will walk in obedience to the Word, that will walk like Jesus did, so that as we walk like Jesus, we will be able to do the same things that Jesus done. Because he clearly told us that in Luke 6:40, that if we could do that, we would be able to do those things, the same things he did. So, Father, help us to walk in it. Bless your word as it goes out today. And may you reveal yourself to many people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, let me tell you something, folks. As Christians, the only truth suitable for eternity is the truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, if you and me fail to realize this, we will only be like our teachers, never doing more than the deeds of our fathers. Now then, our teachers and our fathers more than likely did the best they could. I know mine did, but my dad didn't have a clue about the mighty things that God has revealed to me from his word. But I'm going to tell you, our goal is not simply to do the deeds of our fathers, but to do the deeds of Jesus. Now, my dad was a good man. He was an honest man. He had the greatest integrity, but he did not walk in the gifts of the Spirit. He didn't even know they were there. My mother, she was a wonderful, godly woman. She loved the Lord with all of her heart, but she had no knowledge, no revelations of the gifts of the Spirit. Therefore, Scripture instructs you and me to consider the outcome or the end of a man's way of life before we submit to his concepts of life. In so considering, it is obvious that only one person, only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, proved by his resurrection that he knew the secrets and all of them of life. Now, by conquering death, he revealed he understood life and what makes it work. Although Jesus will use people to teach us, we must not become followers of mere men where those men are not indeed conform to Christ. Our goal must be conformity to Jesus Christ and Him only. Now, any other teachings that you and I have received that does not support this singular purpose must not be allowed to rule us. <clears throat> In the pilgrimage of the soul to find itself, we must surrender what we were to God, for unless we lose our lives to Jesus, we cannot find them, because he tells us that in the scripture. You see, when we come to Christ, all that we are in nature and character is destined to change. The Bible tells us God has provided for us a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, a new nature, and ultimately even a new name. Now, he told us that in Many different places in the scriptures. It's all in the word of God. Remember, 
When you were born again, you received the very Spirit of God, and through His Spirit you were birthed into another realm, the kingdom of heaven. Though your feet are still on earth, through the vehicle of the Holy Spirit, you are united to the actual person of Jesus Christ, who is seated at the throne room of God. Even as your limbs are attached to your torso, so your heart is attached to the power of God. You are never alone. You don't have to ask God to be with you. He promised to never leave you, because Christ is always with you and I. What you were as a person prior to salvation, you will never be again. Now, the promises of God is, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, that's 2 Corinthians 5:17. Now, everything, even your intelligence and your physical appearance, is now subject to change for the better. Old failures, prejudices, and attitudes are destined to go. New faith and hope should be growing within you daily. How do we attain such a wonderful new beginning? We receive the Spirit of Christ into our hearts to empower us, and we study the words of Christ to direct us, and whatever we find in us that is not like Jesus, we crucify it. Because the Lord told us to crucify the flesh or mortify the deeds of the flesh. That means to get rid of all those things that does not glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will do that, you will absolutely become a changed human being. And as you'll read God's mighty word, he will empower you if you'll read his word and do what it says. Now, it has some very stringent requirements but if you will do what the Word of God says and then believe what He says in His Word, nothing shall be impossible with you. Now then, another manner through which strongholds are built into us is through our experiences and the conclusions we have drawn from them. Now, these experiences, for better or worse, are what we call reality. Let us realize that life, as we perceive it, is based upon whatever network of thoughts and opinions we are currently allowing to govern our souls. On the other hand, God defines reality as the truth found in His Word. For us to travel from our world into the reality of God, we must view Jesus' words as doors through which we enter God's eternal kingdom. Now, in the combined meaning of all Jesus taught, we find the reality of the kingdom of God. Victory comes when we line ourselves up to the reality of God's life. Now, I will tell you that if you have never heard me tell the testimony about my granddaughter, the reality, everybody thought my granddaughter was reality. Even Christian men and women that were doctors and nurses down there in Cook's Medical Center uh, in October of, of 2001 when my granddaughter was in a car wreck, and she was so crushed, skull fractured in five places, brain stem disconnected, eyes disconnected from her head, face tore all to pieces, so many internal injuries in her little chest. She was bleeding out of her nose, her ears, her eyes, her mouth, her right knee crushed, left leg broken in two places. 
And when I got there, they told me it's impossible for her to live. I said, oh, no. John fifteen seven, Jesus made me promise. He said, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask me for whatever you want, and I'll do it for you. Now, then, when you become this new creature in Christ and you begin to hide God's word in your heart, this word takes on a whole new revelation or whole new meaning to you, and the promises of God are yours. So I didn't go in that hospital screaming and kicking or saying, where is God? I knew where he was. He was sitting on his throne. I knew what he would do if I stayed in total faith and confessed his word and believed with no doubt in my heart. He said he cannot lie, and he said he would do anything I asked him to do. Well, I asked the Father, in the name of Jesus, to raise my granddaughter up off of that deathbed and heal her and restore her and do such a wonderful work on her that everybody would know that he did it. And he did it. He raised that little girl up. He didn't do it overnight. It took several weeks and even into the months. But he restored her legs, and I had they did not do any surgery on my granddaughter. I would not let them touch her with a knife. He healed a crushed right knee. He healed a broken left leg in two places with no surgery. He put her brain stem back together. Her EEG today is perfectly normal. He reconnected her eyes to her brain stem, to the brain, which the doctor said there's no surgery in the world can reconnect that. But he put that back together. He connected everything back up. He restored her face within two weeks' time where there was not a scar or a mark on it. And all the time, I am taking God's word and going through that hospital and telling people what he was going to do as I come from to his word. And he did all those wonderful things for me. Now then, to topple the stronghold of our experiences, we must let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. Now that's Romans 3, 4. The only one who has a right to shape our lives is Jesus Christ. We must determine to allow nothing and no one to shape us, not even our personal experiences, unless they are consistent with the promises of God. Now then, when you get a chance to walk through a hospital and your experiences are consistent with the promises of God, which is what I did here, then you can learn from these experiences. But now, if somebody tells you something and the experiences they have do not line up with God's Word, then you don't want to listen to those. Now, in truth, who is ruling our lives? God or our experiences? To the degree that our experiences do not conform to the Word of God, they They subtly teach us that God is not who he says he is. We must guard our hearts and the opinions we form about life, for unless the events of our lives are consummated in Christ's likeness, they are incomplete. In other words, even though you were not healed, you should not conclude healing is not for today. God's provision is eternal, which means that until heaven and earth pass away, He has provided for our healing. In regard to sin, though though you repeatedly stumble, you must continue to believe God for grace to overcome. You must give yourself room to grow into new insights. 
You must never surrender your faith in God's Word. Experiences may seem valid, but if they have left you thinking that Jesus is not the same today as he was in the Gospels, the conclusion you have drawn is wrong. It is a stronghold that must be pulled down. Now then, (coughs) the thing about it is, you must make sure that your experiences line up with God's mighty word. Now then, when you begin to quote his word, the experiences you have will be the same things the word of God teach. Now when you hear people that teach these things don't work, then you need to check them out because God's word never changes. We come to the end of another day. I invite you to call me for teaching tapes on these uh, tapes that we do, 940-242-2106. And I will be happy to send you these tapes, 940-242-2106. also like to invite you to our church at 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We start at 2 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. We have church in the afternoon from 2 to 4. So come expecting our precious Lord Jesus to do a miracle for you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener with the Living Savior Ministries. Let's come to the Heavenly Father today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we thank you and praise you and worship you for the word, the precious word of the living God that we have that we can study for ourselves so we don't have to be hung up on the strongholds of man or the enemy, but we can develop our own strongholds from your word. Lord, today, as the word goes out, I ask you to reveal the mighty word of the living God to us so that we may walk in your strength and not in the strongholds of our, the devil or even the doctrines of man. But, Lord, that we may walk in a stronghold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, bless the word as it goes out today in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, another source of strongholds is the strongholds that come from false church doctrines and teachings. Now, I've been a member of the church actually all of my life. I've been in church ever since from nine months before I was born. I didn't become an uh, authorized uh, member of the church until I was 11. That's when I got saved and joined the church. But I've been in the church all of my life. And I've heard a lot of things taught. And a lot of it's been good. But a lot of it was not what the Word of God taught. In fact, it's not that the doctrines... That I, of the churches I've been in taught a wrong doctrine. They just didn't go far enough. Now, Jesus warned us in his word. He said, see to it that no one misleads you. And he said that in Matthew 24, 4. We can be led by another person, but we must take responsibility that we are not misled by that individual. We must study and know the Bible ourselves. That's why God gave us the precious word of the living God, so that we can study it ourselves. If we do not, how can we discern errors in the teachings we hear? Now then, as much as you may love a particular pastor, as often as we have been edified by him, 
we must humbly ask the Lord to confirm any questionable doctrines. No teacher is so true, no prophet so pure, that we can blindly let them lead us. They may lead us, but our eyes must be open and our ears sensitive to the confirming voice of Jesus. As it is written, let every word be confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses. I'm going to tell you that even true teachers can innocently communicate false doctrine. It does not matter how sincere they may be or how good of a teacher they are. Now then, if what we are being taught does not lead us into Christ's love, His holiness, or His power, if we are not being prepared in these spiritual dimensions for Jesus and through Him for others, that doctrine is a stronghold which is limiting and oppressing us. Now then, I have taught the Word of God many a year, and I realize I have had a lot of compliments on my teaching, but I have had also people that will hear me teach something that's not that does not listen to it in detail long enough, and they will think I'm teaching a false doctrine. Well, I may be, but at least I'm trying my best to confirm everything I teach from God's Word. Now then, that doesn't mean that I'm correct in everything I teach. But I try to back up everything I say with God's mighty word. Now, sometimes when I will read something and it will appear to be real clear to me, someone else may read that same set of verses and they do not get the same thing out of it that I did. Well, that's okay. If we don't, then we'll just have to take it ourselves and pray about it and go and see what we can do. Now, the safest way to ensure that no one misleads us is to see to it we do not mislead ourselves. We must stay honest with God and sensitive to his love and his word. Now, Satan's plan is to make us somehow accept either through our upbringing, our experiences, or through church dogma that certain portions of the life of Christ are untrue or not valid in our case. Now then, we see that so many times today in so many churches, that the things that the Lord told us we could do, we don't believe we can do them today. Now, every battle we face in life is over the Word, and whether or not we can build our lives upon the faithfulness and integrity of God's mighty Word. Now, if we hold fast to those things of which we are sure, God will be faithful to deliver us from every stronghold and lead us fully into his kingdom. Now, then, when you begin to really believe these great and mighty things, you will see the king do great and mighty things. I mean to tell you, I have walked in obedience to his word with everything I could. I'm sure there's areas I have failed in. But the older I get and the more I hide God's word in my heart, the more I want to walk in perfect submission to the king. I want to do everything the way he says. I want to walk in humility. I want to walk in love. I want to walk in dedication. I want to die to myself daily. I want to give myself to Christ 
and I want him to use me for his glory. And he has done that, and I have seen him do many wonderful things. But I would like to see him do many more wonderful things because I know that I'm still on an upward climb and that he is still training me. Now then, most Christians today only engage in spiritual warfare with a hope of either relieving present distress or attaining a normal existence. However, the purpose of all aspects of spirituality, warfare included, is to bring us into the image of Christ. Nothing, not worship, nor warfare, neither love, nor deliverance, is truly attainable if we miss the singular objective of our faith. And what that's supposed to be, we're supposed to be Christ-like. Now, you and I are supposed to be just exactly like the king. Let us recall that the Lord delivered the ancient Hebrews out of Egypt so he could bring them into the promised land. Likewise, we are delivered out of sin, not that we might live for ourselves, but that we might come into Christ's likeness. Our goals must align with God's, for if our nature does not change we will invariably find ourselves entangled in the same problems that caused our difficulties in the first place. While we may not want to hear this, many of our spiritual conflicts, many of them, simply are not going to cease until the character of the Lord Jesus is formed in our hearts. The Father's goal in deliverance is much more than simply seeing our burdens or the devil taken off our backs. Indeed, the specific purpose toward which God steers the working of all things in our lives is our conformity. What is that conformity? To the image of his son. That's what he's trying to develop you into. Into the image of his dear son. Now the father's purpose in our salvation was that Jesus would become the firstborn among many brethren. Just think, Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, the way to realize God's ultimate victory is to reach toward his ultimate goal, which is complete transformation into the likeness of Christ. Now, that's what he's trying to do to you and me. He's trying to conform you and I into the image of his Son. He is training us to be overcomers. To be like Christ, we're supposed to be doing the same things the Lord Jesus did. Now, there is a penetration of spirit between God and ourselves, where our spirits are fully saturated with the living presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, where his glory so floods our lives that there is no dark part left within us. Now, that's one thing you don't want. You do not want any darkness in your heart. Because Matthew told us that if you have darkness in your heart, oh, how dark is that darkness? Now, the darkness is where Satan lives. He, if you have sin in your life, which is darkness, he will move into your heart. And he will come inside of you. Now, you don't want this. Uh, if you have the Lord's presence in you, it will produce an indestructible defense 
a fortress within which we are hidden from evil. Now, through him, Christ, we enter the excellence of his way in our relationships, both with the Father and one another, thereby walking in immunity from countless satanic attacks. Now, indeed, as his fullness within us increases, then that which is written is fulfilled. As he is, so also are we in this world. And he who is born of God keeps us, and the evil one does not touch us. Now, that's written in 1 John 5:18. That is a mighty promise. We must realize that it is not Satan who defeats us. It is our openness to him. Satan can only do what you allow him to in your life. Now, to perfectly subdue the devil, we must walk in the shelter of the Most High, because that's in Psalms 91.1. Satan is tolerated for one purpose. The warfare between the devil and God's saints thrust us into Christ's likeness, where the nature of Christ becomes our only place of rest and security. God allows warfare to facilitate his eternal plan, which is to make man in his very image. Now, once we realize that the Father's goal is to transform our lives with Christ's life, we will continually find that God has one answer to spiritual warfare. Appropriate the nature of his Son. Are you troubled by demons of fear or doubt? Submit those areas to God, repenting of your unbelief, and then yield yourself to Christ's faith within you. Are you troubled with spirits of lust and shame? Present these very areas of sin to God. Repent of them from your old nature, drawing upon the forgiveness of Christ and his purity of heart, and you will see that everything in your world will begin to change. Praise the Lord. I invite you to call me at 940-242-2106 for teaching tapes on these subjects. I invite you to check us out on the web at www.tlsm.org for a list of many of our tapes, videos, and audios. And also you can contact us by email there. I'd invite you to our church, the Living Savior Church, at 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We have church every Sunday afternoon from 2 p.m. to 4. We'd also like to invite you to our healing school. We have two healing schools a month now, one in Justin and one in Dallas. If you go to our website at www.tlsm.org, you can find all that information. And we'd be happy to have you. The healing schools are free, and even the tapes and teaching materials are all free. So praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Thurman Scrivener again today with the Living Savior Ministries. Let's come to our Heavenly Father. Father, we so praise you and worship you and thank you that you are our Lord and our God and that you're the greatest there is. There's nothing else that even begins to come close to what you are. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And we worship you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Holy Spirit. And we thank you that we are your sons and daughters, and we're king's children. We worship. We thank you. Now, Lord, as the word goes out today, 
I ask you to reveal it to the men and women that will hear it, that they may gain great knowledge and wisdom and understanding from your word. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this week we're talking about <clears throat> strongholds and warfare and how to overcome the enemy and all those different things we're talking about each day. But I'm going to tell you that the Heavenly Father is more concerned with the coming forth of Jesus in our lives than he is in defeating Satan. Who is the devil anyway that he can defy the living God? He's just a peanut. Indeed, it is of the greatest truth that once the devil recognizes his assault against your life, has not pulled you from God, but it has pushed you heavily toward God. Once he perceives that his temptations are actually forcing you to appropriate the virtue of Christ, the enemy will withdraw. Because if there's anything he does not want, he does not want you to become Christ-like. Now then, as he attacks you, if it drives you to the word, and you begin to study the Word, and then you begin to believe the Word, then that means you are becoming more like Christ, and He most definitely does not want that to happen, so He will withdraw and try something else. Now, the absolute goal of the whole Word of God is that the Lord is trying to conform us into the image of His dear Son, which is being like Christ, not spiritual warfare. But we need to become like Christ. Now then, there is a time that you will have to do warfare. There is a time. I have done it myself many times. I have even made tapes on spiritual warfare, how to pull down the enemy over your friends, the people that are lost, that are on the way to hell. But you can do that. And that's wonderful to be able to enter into that spiritual warfare and see people's lives totally transform. But there is a, a time that uh, spiritual warfare is actually a distraction from your obedience to God. Jesus defeated Satan in Gethsemane and the cross, not by directly confronting the devil, but by fulfilling the destiny to which he had been called at Calvary. Now, the greatest battle that was ever won was accomplished by the apparent death of the victor without even a word of rebuke to his adversary. And praise God, I made a 90-minute tape on the cross and what it meant and what it did for us. And I'm telling you, when I learned all those things, it totally transformed my life when I learned what the Lord did for me and for you on that cross. Now, the prince of this world was judged, and principalities and powers were disarmed, not by confrontational warfare, but by the surrender of Jesus Christ on the cross. When our Lord yielded to be crucified, when he died on that cross, principalities and powers were disarmed and dethroned, and our Lord became the king. And he took death, hell, and the, the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from the enemy. And now then, he's given them to us. And he's training us how to be overcomers. Now, there are occasions when your battle against the devil 
is actually a digression from the higher purpose of God that he has for you. Intercessors and warfare captains take note. There is a demon whose purpose is to lure your mind into hell. Its name is wrong focus. If you are continually seeing evil spirits in people or in the material world around you, you may actually be fighting this spirit. The ultimate goal of this mean, wicked demon is to produce mental illness in saints who move in deliverance. Listen very carefully. We are not called to focus on the battle or the devil, except where that battle hinders our immediate transformation into being like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our calling is to focus on Christ. The work of the devil, however, is to draw our eyes from Christ. Satan's first weapon always involves luring our eyes away from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So whatever you do, turn to Jesus, and almost immediately the battle will vanish away. Now then, there is examples in the Word of God for proper balance and discernment. Now then, we go to Second Kings, and I'll tell you this story out of Second Kings here. It says, uh, I'll just tell you that the Syrian army had surrounded a city in Israel, and Elisha's uh, uh, servant was absolutely upset. He just couldn't see how they could win. But to calm him down, Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened. He then encouraged his servant, saying, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, that's in Second Kings 6.16. As the Lord opened the servant's eyes, he saw what Elisha saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, if we could have our eyes open, we would see the battle that's raging in the heavenlies. It would encourage us greatly, even though we were to see all the wickedness, we would get to see all the beautiful warring angels that are out there to war for us and to protect us. Now, in spiritual warfare, the battle is never limited to an us-against-them human affair. It is always includes those with us against those with them. True discernment is as fully aware of the vast multitude of angels loyal to God as it is aware of the activity of the demonic realm. And it is aware that the angelic hosts on our side are both stronger and more numerous than the enemy. Remember, if you fail to hear the music in your times of warfare, your discernment is at best incomplete. We must learn that on a personal level, it is better to develop godly virtues than to spend our day praying against the devil. Indeed, it is the joy of the Lord that casts out spirits of depression. It is our living faith which destroys spirits of unbelief. It is aggressive love which casts out fear. As we continually yield ourselves to Christ, surrendering ourselves by faith to his nature and his words, we literally build the impenetrable stronghold 
of his presence around us. The way into the fortress of the Almighty God is simple. Victory begins with the name of Jesus. And it is consummated whenever the nature of Jesus becomes complete in your heart. And that's the victory that is ours. Now, that's what you have to do, and that's what you have to remember, the name of Jesus. You have to learn to speak the name of Jesus, but you also have to become like Christ for the victory to be yours. Praise the Lord when you reach that day. In other words, our peace does not come from extreme indifference, nor is it from becoming so spiritual that you fail to notice a problem. It is being so confident in God's mighty love that you know, regardless of the battle and the difficulties in your circumstances, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that's First John 4.4. 4. You are not self-assured. You are God-assured. Now, one of the things I've come to realize is that before you can do effective spiritual warfare, you must understand your spiritual authority. Now, spiritual authority is not forcing your will upon another. When you have spiritual authority, you have established God's peace in an area that once was full of conflict and oppression. Therefore, to truly be able to move in authority, we must first have peace. The Apostle Paul taught, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, he wrote that for us in Romans 16.20. When we maintain peace during warfare, it is a crushing death blow to satanic oppression and fear. Our victory never comes from our emotions or our intellect. Our victory comes by refusing to judge by what our eyes see or our ears hear and by trusting that what God has promised will come to pass. We will never know Christ's victory in its fullness until we stop reacting humanly to our circumstances. Now, when we truly have authority over something, you can look at that thing without worry fear or anxiety your peace is the proof of your victory jesus authority over the violent storms was the ex exercise and expansion of his peace over the elements he did not fight against the storm nor did he fear it he faced its fury and subdued it with his authority in perfect peace in Pilate's court, in a world stirred to an emotional frenzy by the powers of hell, a holy tranquility surrounded our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a peace that was born out of his resolve to do God's will no matter what the cost. His spirit emanated a calm that perfectly represented the peace of God's throne. In a matter of moments, it was no longer Jesus who was on trial, but Satan, Pilate, and the nation of Israel. 
Now, Satan's arsenal consists of such things as fear, worry, doubt, and self-pity. Well, don't let these things be in you. Make sure the peace of God is in your heart and you won't have any problem with these things. I invite you to write or call me, 940-242-2106 for teaching tapes on these matters. Also, I'd like to invite you to our church, the Living Savior Church at 10-921-10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We start at 2 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. I'd also like to invite you to my healing school. We have two healing schools a month. Uh, one in uh, second Saturday, one the fourth Saturday of every month. You can find those addresses and locations on our website at www.tlsm.org. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scribner today with the Living Savior Ministries. We're continuing to talk about these strongholds and about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, this week. Let's come to the Heavenly Father. Father, we worship you and praise you and thank you that Jesus is our Lord. He's our God, our Savior, our Healer, our Provider, our everything. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our Comforter that walks along with us and within us. I praise you and thank you for the privilege, Lord, to have the Word of God to walk with and to read and to study and to learn who you are and who we are and what we can do and who the enemy is. And I praise you and thank you for this word. Now reveal it to us as we studied again today in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now I'm going to tell you that Satan's arsenal consists of such things as fear, worry, doubt, self-pity. Every one of these weapons robs us of peace and leaves us troubled inside. Do you want to discern where the enemy is coming against you? In the network of your relationships, wherever you do not have peace, you have war. Conversely, wherever you have victory, you have peace. Now, when Satan hurls his fiery darts against you, the more peace you have during adversity, the more truly you are walking in Christ's likeness or in Christ's victory. Paul tells us to be in no way alarmed by your opponent which is a sign of destruction for them, for of salvation for you. Now, your peace, your immovable stand upon the Word of God, is a sign that you are positioned correctly in perfect submission to the will of God. The very fact that you are in no way alarmed by your adversary is a sign that you have authority over him. Now, that's what I did right there by knowing these things right there. I realize that peace is spirit power. And I, when I walked into that hospital a year, almost a year and a half ago now, whenever they told me my granddaughter and Kelly was, was probably going to die, and they just assured me my granddaughter was going to die, I knew the victory I had over what the enemy had done to my wife and my daughter and tried to do to my grandbaby and Kelly. But I realized that peace is spirit power. And I walked in in total peace and total love and got to see our Lord 
do the greatest miracles I've ever seen him do as he raised up those little girls off of their deathbed and healed both of them completely. Now, a peacemaker is not merely someone who protests against war. He is one who is inwardly so yielded to be like Christ in the spirit and purpose that he can be called a son of God. Where he goes, God goes, and where God goes, he goes. He is fearless, he's calm, and he is bold. Now, peace will emanate from him or from you the way light and heat radiate from the fire. In the battles of life, your peace is actually a weapon. Indeed, your confidence declares that you are not falling for the lies of the devil. You see, the first step toward having spiritual authority over the adversary is having peace in spite of our circumstances. When Jesus confronted the devil, he did not confront Satan with his emotions or in fear. Knowing that the devil was a liar, he simply refused to be influenced by any other voice than God's. His peace overwhelmed Satan. His authority then shattered the lie which sent those demons fleeing everywhere. Now then, in the Word of God, the Lord has made us some awesome promises. When you stop and think about these promises, I want you to think about this promise that the Lord made us in one of the Psalms that we have heard and read so many times. The 23rd Psalm, David declares, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me. Now there is a place of walking with God where you simply fear no evil. Just think. David said in the scriptures that he faced a lion and a bear as a giant. In this psalm, he stood in the shadow of death itself, yet he feared no evil. David's trust was in the Lord. Yours needs to be in the Lord. David said, for thou art with me. Because God is with you, every adversity you face will unfold in victory as you maintain your faith in God. But you must maintain your faith in God. David continued, Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The battle you are in will soon become a meal to you. An experience that will nourish and build you up spiritually. Only God's peace will quell your fleshly reactions in battle. The source of God's peace is God himself. Now, indeed, before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Now, that's written in Revelation 4. The glass sea is a symbol. There are no ripples, no waves, no anxieties. Nothing is troubling God. The Lord is never worried, never in a hurry, nor without an answer. The sea around him is perfectly still and totally calm. All our victories flow out from being seated here with Christ. God is our Father. 
The heavenly Jerusalem is our mother, the birthplace of our new nature. And you, you are a beloved child of God, part of the Father's family and a member of his household. You must know by revelation that you are not struggling to get up into heaven. Rather, you were born there in spiritual rebirth. You must be settled and positioned correctly in your relationship with the Almighty. To those who have been born again from above, he says, Sit at my right hand while I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's written in Psalms 110, verse 1. Before you go into warfare, recognize that it is not you that the devil is afraid of. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're no match for the devil on your own. You couldn't even begin to stand in his presence. But he is definitely afraid of your big brother, which is Christ that is in you. Now, you and I have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, because he said that for us in Ephesians 2, 6. This is why the Holy Spirit continues to speak to us that worship of God is our first response in battle. Position yourself in the presence of God. Set at rest in the knowledge that Christ has already made your enemies the footstool for your feet. From the position of rest, the word of the Lord continues. The Lord will stretch forth the strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. That's Psalm 110, verse 2. Rest precedes rule. Peace precedes power. Do not seek to rule over the devil until you are submitting to God's rule over you. The focal point of all victory comes from seeking God until you find him. And having found him, allowing his presence to fill your spirit with his mighty peace. Now from full assurance at his right hand, as we rest in his victory, let us rule in the midst of our enemies. Now I'm going to tell you. You must learn these things, and you must learn your spiritual authority if you want to rule in the midst of your enemy. Now, the, there's, there's battlegrounds all over the place that we're going to have to fight and war. Uh, I'm going to tell you the battleground, the church is absolutely in a battleground. It is one of the battlegrounds, and the devil... We must learn to war against the illusions and strife, the fears and jealousies that are sent from hell itself to divide us in the church. If Jesus is eternally praying for our oneness, just like he said in John 17:20, then we must recognize that Satan is continuously fighting against the church. The devil knows that when we become one with Christ and through him, one with each other, it is only a matter of time before this Jesus-built church will destroy the empires of hell itself. Now, that's such a strange thing that we'll get men in the church that will be given one or many of the nine gifts of the Spirit, and they'll start walking in them, 
instead of the rest of the church yielding to them and listening to them and learning how to do it themselves, it's so much of the time they will drive that person from the church. It just never ceases to amaze me how we do it, how we fight against each other. I don't understand how we can allow the enemy to get such a stronghold in us and cause these kind of problems. But he has. But I will have to say that as I began to walk in the gifts of the Spirit as a Southern Baptist years ago, I absolutely was come against in many ways. And I had many people in my own church that had known me for years that came against me and said, you should not be allowed to teach in a Baptist church. Now, here's a man that I'm doing everything I can to walk in Christ's likeness. I'm speaking his word, and God is doing miracles. He's healing the sick. He's answering my prayers. He's doing great and mighty things, such mighty things, you can hardly comprehend it when the tangible miracles the Lord is doing when I pray for people. And there's those in the church that says they didn't think I ought to be allowed to teach in a Baptist church. For goodness sakes, what is wrong with us? We should have all sought what I had so we could all begin to work, walk in what God had given me. I am so grateful, so grateful to the king for giving me these mighty gifts. But now then, it's not so bad. After the church saw my granddaughter and the other girls and children raised up a little over a year ago, with the greatest miracle, they all knew that God showed up when I prayed for those girls. So... It's pretty good now. Praise the Lord Jesus. Call me if you'd like any of these audio and video tapes on these teachings at 940-242-2106. 940-242-2106. Also, I'd like to invite you to our church at uh, 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We start at 2 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. If you're sick and afflicted and you need a healing, you need to contact us and come to one of our healing schools. We see many people healed. Go to our website, www.tlsm.org, and you can find where the location of these healing schools are, and you can receive your healing from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener with the Living Savior Ministries. Let's come to the Heavenly Father. Father, we are so grateful to be your sons and daughters and to be your warrior, to be able to fight these battles that's coming before us every day and even soon to intensify. But we know that you're our leader, you're our Lord, you're our God, and that nothing is impossible with you. That you can do all things and you will train us. And Lord, help us to recognize you when you come. Help us to be ready so we'll know who you are. So we will not be like Joshua that almost missed you because you didn't know who he was looking for. Father, I praise you and thank you now as the day, as the word goes out today. May you reveal it to us in great and mighty revelations and understanding so we may be ready when you come again. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Now then, I just wonder, uh, what is your uh, perspective of what the Lord will look like when he comes again? Do you think we'll recognize our Lord and our Savior when he comes to this earth? Are we ready? Now, 
I'm going to tell you that I believe the Lord has his his sword drawn. I believe he's soon coming back to this earth. Now, it's amazing that the examples he gives us, like over here in the book of Joshua, in fact, of, of the names that the father could have given his son, it is uh, pretty significant that he chose the name Jesus, for Jesus is the Greek word Joshua, who was the Hebrew general who led the people into warfare. Now, there's a lot of parallels here. Now, to be prepared for greater victories, we need a greater revelation of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ really is. We need to see him as he will be revealed in the last days of this age, the last moments. He is going to be a holy warrior dressed for battle. Now then, I believe with all my heart this battle is going to soon come. And when he comes, I wonder, are we going to be like Joshua? In Joshua chapter 5, this is what happened. Now it came to... It came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now then, there is something about the time just prior to a move of God that causes many to wonder if the Lord is for them or against them. He seems confrontational, too intense, too different from the one we had learned to trust. Yet, during these last few years, this is exactly the situation in the Lord's relationship with the church. The Lord has stood before us with his sword drawn, just like he did with Joshua here. Perhaps you have been through a time where the tip of Christ's sword seemed aimed straight at your heart. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I have had so many of those trials and tests in the last couple of years. I don't know what the Lord is training me for, but I know He's training me. And it has been the most intensive training that I've ever, I couldn't even have dreamed the test that I would have been through, that I have been through in the last year and a half. But let me reassure you, God is for you. I don't care what it is. In fact, it is His express purpose to release this same sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, through your words and prayers. But before the Lord's sword will come through your mouth, it must first pass through your heart. Now think about that. Think about what I just said. Before the Lord's sword. Now what is the sword? The Word of God. Before the sword will come through your mouth, it must first pass through your heart. God must confront the stronghold of fear within us before we are to be effective against the enemy in the heavenly places. Now, let me tell you, whatever you do, do not withdraw or be terrified at this new unveiling of the Son of God. For it is, in fact, the beginning of God fitting you for battle. By the time you are fully trained, 
you will be a fearless warrior in his army. Currently, however, we are a pampered, undisciplined people who have not understood the day of warfare that looms before us. So get ready for it. It's going to come. We must realize that in the last moments of this age, to prepare us for the raging of Satan as his time shortens, the Lord Jesus Christ will raise an army to whom he will be revealed in a manner unfamiliar to most Christians. Isaiah tells us, over in Isaiah 42:13, he said, The Lord will go forth like a warrior. <clears throat> What's the Lord going to do? He's going to go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. We have known the Lord as our Savior and our Shepherd. Now, these revelations of our beloved Lord are no less true because a new aspect of his nature is revealed. It is simply that this new dimension is so startlingly different from how we have known him. But be of good cheer. This frightening warrior king with his sword drawn, with his shout of war upon his lips, is the same blessed Savior, the same blessed Jesus, the same blessed King who died on that cross for yours and my sins. He is the same Jesus, but praise God, it's time now for war. Yet, in truth, we cannot soften the shock of this next unveiling of Christ. Your immediate dismay shall be in no way less dramatic than that which was revealed to Joshua on the plains of Jericho. Your concepts will be shaken and fears confronted. Looking again at Joshua, truly, he had already known the Lord in a wonderful, intimate way in the wilderness tabernacle. But here, standing before him, was a new revelation of Christ. The Lord himself had come to lead his people into war. Ultimately, these refugees from Egypt and their wilderness children would defeat many nations stronger and more numerous than themselves. They would do the impossible through the power of the Lord. Joshua was alarmed, but both Joshua and the people with him were more prepared for this battle than even they realized. Their time in the wilderness had conditioned them for war. Likewise, the wilderness you have been in has not been a punishment, but a time of preparation and of learning obedience. You have watched in fear the spiritual death of church leaders who disobeyed the Lord. But you have not stumbled over their disobedience. You have learned from it. Now, before Jesus returns, those who have passed the wilderness test will recognize and will receive another revelation. Christ will be revealed to them as their captain of the host, just like he was to Joshua. They will be ready to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And that's you and I. And Joshua chapter 5 Verses 14, he says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? 
And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. This new unveiling of the Lord is holy. Do not gainsay or criticize what you may not fully understand. We are beginning to perceive the Lord as He truly is, and He will be revealed in the days ahead. I'm telling you, there's going to be great and mighty things happen in the future. I'm going to tell you that the promises of the Lord, which we have discussed earlier here, is that He will go forth like a warrior. He will raise a war cry. He will prevail against His enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that army. I want to be trained so that I know what is going to happen. And I believe with all my heart these days are coming in the not-too-distant future. Now, within the ranks of the advancing church, Jesus is raising a war cry. Can you hear his shout in the intercession? There is new authority being raised up. A new generation whose voice thunders with the cry of prophetic prayer. Through the church, Christ himself is prevailing against his enemies. Indeed, the gates of hell shall not stand against the church that Jesus Christ is building. Now, he made that statement to us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said he was going to give us the keys to the kingdom, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Well, I'm going to tell you, the hour has come for his church to grow in all aspects into him who is our head, even Christ, the warrior king. Now, our king is coming again soon. I think we're going to be in for a tremendous time of battle. Now, if you've been one of the fortunate ones, and when I say this, if you've been one of the fortunate ones to be part of the battle, to be part of the training that the Lord has been training so that you have been going through these desolate times and you're wondering why you went through all those times, those hard times, it was to train you to be a warrior to fight this end-time battle. So praise the King. Lift your hands and praise the Lord and worship Him for training you to be one of those warriors. Praise His holy name. I'd like to invite you to give me a call for tapes, 940-242-2106. I'd like to invite you to our church, the Living Savior Church, every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4 at 10 921-10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. Go up Interstate 35 to Walnut Hill. Go east on Walnut Hill four blocks to Shady Trail. Turn right 
We're about 300 yards down on the right. We'd also like to invite you to our healing school, but we'd uh, go to the website at www.tlsm.org, and there you can find the location of our two healing schools, uh, where they're located, the times they start, and everything. We would love to have you. We see many people miraculously healed at those healing schools. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener with the Living Savior Ministries today. Let's come to the Heavenly Father. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you for your mighty word. Now, Lord, as we study your word today, as we read Matthew chapter 24, a few verses here, and, Lord, as we talk about the mighty things in this book, I ask you to give us revelation and wisdom and knowledge and understanding about the things we're going to talk to uh, today about out of Matthew 24. Father, I praise you for this day. Use us for your glory and reveal the word to us as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm still talking about strongholds. Uh, as the more, the deeper I get into the study of these strongholds, the greater the study becomes. And you just don't realize all the things that's in there. But anyway, today I want to talk about another stronghold. Now, you may have never thought about this until you see this, but in Matthew chapter 24, the uh, disciples are coming to Jesus, and he's been telling them what's going to happen to the temple and how it's going to be destroyed and, and how it's going to be torn down and all these things. And then they want to know when these things are going to come to pass. And so Jesus begins to uh, tell them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they shall deceive many. And you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, and be not troubled for all this is, uh, this is not the end. This stuff is going to happen, and nation is going to rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And that there will be great famines and pestilences and earthquakes in all kinds of places. But he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. He said, then they shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity or sin shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Now, I want you to think about this in these last days that we're talking about, the, because sin is abounding. Now, I'm telling you, sin is abounding everywhere today. I mean, if you don't believe that, all you got to do is turn the television on. All you got to do is go into a place of business. All you got to do is look around, and you'll see that iniquity or sin is abounding everywhere. And the Lord says, this is something we need to be very, very aware of. The love of many shall grow cold. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is one of the strongholds that we're going to have to overcome in these last days. Now then, when you think about this, I want you to think about your love. Is your love becoming brighter or more daring? Or is it becoming more discriminating, more calculating, less vulnerable, and less available? Now, this is a very important issue for your Christianity. is only as real as your love is. Now, a measurable decrease in your ability to love is evidence that a stronghold of cold love is developing within you. 
Now, the Lord clearly told us over there in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, because that this lawlessness is increased, uh, uh, most of the people's love will grow cold. Now then, a major area of spiritual warfare that has come against the church is the sphere of church relationships. Now, Satan knows that a church divided against itself cannot stand. He's pretty smart. He knows what uh, it takes to break down a church. You know, we may enjoy temporary blessings and seasonal breakthroughs, but to win a citywide war, Jesus is raising up a united citywide church. An earmark of this corporate overcoming church will be its commitment to love. Now, this is the thing. If you want to really walk in God's power, you must walk in his love. Yet, because of the increasing iniquity or sin in the end of this age, true Christian love will be severely assaulted in these last days. Now, if you think you understand and know what being assaulted is, you don't really understand until you think about how carefully and how deceptively the devil is coming in and deceiving us. You know, in so many churches, there is no spiritual unity, and hence there's no lasting victory, because without love, there is no lasting victory. Now, love is a passion for us to be one, but bitterness is, on the other hand, is characterized by a noticeable lack of love. This cold love is a demonic stronghold. Now, then we have to be very careful. I mean, all of us, every one of us, you, me, and everybody, we have to be so careful because of this bitterness and this cold love that's creeping in. It's hard for us to walk in that love. In our generation, cold love is becoming increasingly more common. Now, whenever that cold love comes in, it shuts down the power of prayer and it disables the flow of healing and our outreach. In fact, where there is persistent and hardened unforgiveness in a person or a church, the demonic world known as, in fact, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, there is a tremendous story about what happens whenever anybody in the church walks in unforgiveness. And what the Word of God says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 34, it says the torturers or the tormentors will come in to get you. Now, who do you think the torturers or the tormentors are? That's Satan and his demons. Now, when Satan, when he has legal access to you, he will absolutely, he will have unhindered access into your life to kill, steal, and to destroy. Now, that's the thing. This is the thing that we need to understand. Satan cannot touch you as a Christian until you give him legal right through sin. Now, if Satan could just come in and do what he wanted to, he would come in and kill every one of us right now. But when you read Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, 
you will clearly learn that if you will not forgive everybody from your heart, it will give Satan legal right, the tormentors, the tortures, it will give Satan and his demons legal right to come in and kill you and your family and really do devastating things to you. Now, the scriptures warn that even a little root of bitterness in a person's life can spring up and defile many. Now, bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. Another thoughtlessness or cruelty may have wounded us deeply. It is inevitable that in a world of increasing harshness and cruelty, you will at some time be hurt. So get used to it. It's going to come. Offenses are going to come. The Word of God says a while ago in the Scriptures in Matthew uh, 24 where we were reading, offenses will come. But do not receive them. But we all have to capture those thoughts because they will come to all of us. But if you fail to react with love and forgiveness, if you retain in your spirit the debt the offender owes you, that offense will rob your heart of its capacity to love. Now, isn't that devastating? You will learn that you will become a member of the majority of end-time Christians whose love is growing cold. You will say things like, I don't care about anybody else. That is a symbol or a sign of your love growing cold. The Lord says, this is the way you shall know my children, by their love one for another. So we have been given a command from our God to love. Now, bitterness is a classic symptom of the stronghold of cold love. To deal with this, you must repent of this attitude and forgive the one who hurt you. This painful experience was allowed by God to teach you how to love your enemies. If you still have unforgiveness towards someone who hurt you, you have failed this test. Fortunately, this was just a test, not a final exam. You actually need to thank God for the opportunity to grow in divine love. Thank Him that your whole life is not being swallowed up in bitterness and resentment. Now, many people, many souls, are swept off into eternal judgment every day without any hope of escaping from this bitterment, this bitterness. But you have been given God's answer for your pain. God gives you a way out, and the way out is love. Now, as you embrace God's love and begin to walk in forgiveness, you're actually pulling down the stronghold of bitterness and its manifestations of cold love in your heart. Now, think about that now. The way to pull down this stronghold is to embrace God's mighty love and begin to walk in forgiveness. And when you do that, you are pulling down the stronghold of that bitterness and its manifestation of cold love in your heart. Now, because of this experience, you will eventually have more love than you ever did. You truly do need to thank God for allowing you to go through that test. In other words, 
if you don't, in fact, let me put it this way, that love without commitment is not love at all. In other words, you must, you, you must love with a commitment. Now, if you will love God and you will love people, that is a perfect sign that you have, do not have a stronghold of cold love in your heart. So, whatever you do, let the love of God abound in your heart. Speak God's love to people. Don't let the stronghold of cold love, like Matthew uh, 24 talks about, don't let that come into your heart. Walk in love so you can pull down that stronghold of cold love. I'd invite you to give me a call for tapes. I'd be happy to send these teachings to you. My number is 940-242-2106. We would invite you to our church, the Living Savior Church, every Sunday afternoon at 2 to 4 p.m. We're in North Dallas at 10-921 Shady Trail. 10 921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We start at 2 p.m. until 4 p.m. Also, I'd like to invite you to my healing school. We have a healing school the second Saturday of every month at 10921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We have the healing school the second Saturday and the fourth Saturday of every month. Go to our website for locations, and you can find out how to come and get healed. Because we teach you how to walk in divine health, and we see the Lord do many miracles. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener with the Living Savior Ministries again today. We continue to talk about strongholds this week, so let's come to the Heavenly Father. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Lord, I thank you and praise you and worship you for your word. Lord, as we take this book apart, as we read it and study it, Give us revelation and wisdom and understanding and knowledge from this book, your mighty word, so we can hide this book in our hearts so we will not sin against you. Lord, today reveal the scriptures to us as we continue to talk about strongholds. Lord, I worship you and I praise you and I thank you for the privilege to come to you and to to know that you're my Lord and my God. Now, Lord, as the word goes out today, bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, yesterday we stopped on, we were talking about love, and and that, uh, you know, the, the scripture tells us in Matthew 24, it says, And at that time many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased... The love of many will grow cold. Now, I want to make it perfectly clear to you that there is no such thing as love without commitment. In other words, the measure of your love is found in the depth of your commitment to God. Now, in your commitment to others. You know, you hear people all the time say, uh, I loved once, but I was hurt. Or I was committed to Christian service, but they used me. I think about a young lady to this day. I think about a lady that I know her husband, and I know him well. And him and her served together in a church. 
and they were in the bus ministry, and they'd done all kinds of things. And then the enemy got in there, and he deceived her, and her love grew cold, very cold. And she backed off from the church, and I don't think that lady has been in church in 10, 15 years. What a, what a, what a deception from the devil. How that beast has deceived that woman by not being in church. She has missed a tremendous blessing with her husband. But she has listened to the enemy instead of God. You can go and sit down with these people and try your best to tell them what's happening. And some of them, because their love is so cold, their bitterness is so deep, they absolutely have such a strong hold in them, Satan has that they cannot come out of it. It is such a shame that people will say, once I was committed to Christian service, but they used me. People withdraw from being committed, never realizing that their love is growing cold. It may not seem like they have become cold. They still go to church. Some of them do. This lady I was telling you about, she does not. But some people will even still go to church. Some of them will even still read their Bible. Some of them will even still tithe. They'll even sing in the choir. And they'll look like a normal, good Christian. But inside, they have become distant and aloft from other people. They have withdrawn from the love of God. Jesus said that these offenses will come. In Matthew 18, in your walk, there will be times when even good people have bad days. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't care how close to God you walk. There will be days when you can back off and look and say, Lord, this has not been a good day. Now, if you don't think that's true, uh, let me tell you. I can think of some of the, some days I've had a very good opportunity in the last year and a half to think about some bad days. And, of course, if you want to know what I'm talking about, if somebody comes in, a police officer walks in and tells you that your wife and your daughter are deceased because they've just been killed in an automobile wreck and your grandchildren are not going to live through the day, you can let that get to you if you want to. But you don't have to. And if you will stay in faith, you can see God do the miracles. I saw him do as he raised up my granddaughter. And this week, this fact, uh, the 12th of January, she's going to be five years old. But yet, almost a year and a half ago, I was told by the finest doctors at Cook's Medical Center, because her brain was severed, her eyes were disconnected, her skull was crushed, her chest, little chest, had so many injuries, they didn't know what all was wrong with her. And her right knee was crushed and her left leg broken in two places. That would absolutely be impossible for my granddaughter to live. But I took God's word and I told him, no, she will live and run and play and declare the glory of God. I didn't let my, co my co uh, love run cold. I had it running hot as fire with the word of God. And because I did what the king said and stayed in faith... He raised up my grandbaby as well as many other children and done great and mighty miracles. Now then, 
I tell you, I don't care who you are. If you walk with God, there will absolutely be times when even good people will have bad days. But you don't have to let those days be bad. You can continue to stay in faith. Now, as long as you live on earth, there will never be a time when these offenses or stumbling blocks cease to be found upon your path. People do not stumble over boulders, but they stumble over little stones, little things. But I'm telling you, even the big things, you don't have to stumble and fall over the big things. If you do fall, then get up and go again. Have you stumbled over someone's weakness or sin lately? Have you gotten back up and continued loving as you did before? Or has that fall caused you to withdraw somewhat from walking after God, after His love? To preserve the quality of love in your heart, you must forgive those who have caused you to stumble. Now, if you allow that beast, Satan, to continue to be in there, he will ruin your day. Every time you refuse to forgive or to overlook a weakness in another, your heart not only hardens toward them, it hardens toward God. You cannot form a negative opinion of someone and allow that opinion to crystallize into an attitude. For every time you do, an aspect of your heart will cool toward God. You may still think you are open to God, but the scriptures are clear. In 1 John 4, he says, The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You may not like what someone else has done, but you do not have an opinion to stop loving them. Love is your only option. You do not have an option to stop loving them. You must continue to walk in love or your prayers will be cut off. You will not be able to get the, your prayers answered. When you talk about these things, you think, what do, what do I mean by love then? First, I do not merely mean just to have tough love. I mean gentle, affectionate, sensitive, open, persistent love. Now, I'm going to tell you for a pastor, Eve, that is very hard to do with all the different people we have to deal with every day. But you have to let that love flow through you. The enemy will come against you through many people to try to get you out of that warm, gentle love. But don't let him do it. God will be tough when he needs to be. And we will be firm when he tells us to be. But beneath our firmness must be an underground river of love waiting to spring into action. By love, I mean a compassion that is empowered by faith and prayer to see God's best come forth in the one we love. When I have love for someone, I have predetermined that I'm going to stand with them regardless of what they are going through. Now, we each need people who are committed to us as individuals, people who know we are not perfect but love us anyway. The manifestation of God's kingdom will not come without people being committed to each other 
to reach God's fullness. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about growing up in that salvation until we love and are committed to each other with Jesus' love. Become like Jesus. Think about that old story we hear, what would Jesus do? You see those little signs all over the place. Well, learn to do the same thing Jesus does. Many people will stumble over little faults and human weaknesses. These minor things are quickly pumped up by the enemy into great big problems. Oh, how frail are the excuses people use to justify withdrawing from others. In reality, these problems that we have, often with a church or a pastor, are a smokescreen which masks the person's lack of love. Now, we need to overcome our hang-ups about commitment, for no one will attain the fullness of God's purpose on earth without being committed to imperfect people along the way. You're going to have people in your church, even if you're a pastor. You're going to have people that's going to push your buttons. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's hard to control yourself because some of the things they will say. But you've got to remember, there's an enemy out there that when we say the wrong things, he's doing everything he can to get through to us, to cause us to get into that imperfect love. So, because you're dealing with imperfect people all along the way, you're going to have these problems. So, as soon as, <laughs> here some people will say, as soon as I find a church that believes as I do, I will be committed. I don't know how many people I say, well, I'm church hopping or I'm looking for a church. What an excuse. Most of those people haven't been to church and looked at all in two, three, four, six months. They're not looking for a church. Their love has grown cold. They're just out of church, and the enemy has done this to them. Now, if you hear people say, well, as soon as I find that church that believes like I do, I will be committed. I'm telling you, this is a dangerous excuse because as soon as you decide you do not want to forgive or God begins to deal with the quality of your love, you will blame your withdrawal on some minor doctrinal difference. The kingdom of God is not based on mere doctrines. It is founded upon relationships, relationships with God and because of God with one another. So doctrines can only help define these relationships. We are not anti-doctrine, but we are against empty doctrines, which seem like virtues that are simply excuses that justify cold love. Whatever you do, walk in love. I invite you to give me a call for tapes, for teachings, 940-242-2106. Also, I'd like to invite you to our church, the Living Savior Church, at 10 921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. You go up 35E to Walnut Hill, go east on Walnut Hill, four streets to Shady Trail, turn right or south on Walnut on no, Shady Trail, and we're about 300 yards down on the right. We start at 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, 2 to 4, come expecting the Lord to do a miracle for you. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scribner with the Living Savior Ministries today. Let's come to the Heavenly Father. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Lord, 
We worship you and praise you and thank you for this beautiful, glorious, magnificent, wonderful day that you have made for us. We cannot even begin to worship you and praise you and thank you enough for all the wonderful things that you've given us. Lord, we are so grateful that you are our Lord, our God. We're so grateful, Jesus, that you defeated the foe, Satan, on the cross 2,000 years ago. And now as long as we keep ourselves from evil, the evil one cannot touch us because that's written in 1 John 5:18. Lord, help us to walk holy before you in all that we do. Help us to walk in this love. Lord, this stronghold that we're talking about today, this whole week, strongholds, the strongholds the devil put us upon us of this cold love. Help us, Lord, to walk in the fiery, warm love of the Lord Jesus Christ and to overcome everything in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, as the word goes out, reveal it to your people that they may understand what it means to walk in love. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today we're going to read about one of the great commandments. I'm in Mark chapter 12 today. And in, starting with verse 28, and it says that one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And verse 29, Jesus answered him saying, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And as you, and this is the first commandment, the Lord says. And then he says in verse 31, And the second commandment is like this, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than this. Now then, when you stop and think about the greatest commandment, do you know what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and your soul? I'm going to tell you, I think that is so difficult for us to even comprehend because to do that, if we were to do that, we would just be in so so much love with the Lord that he would be on our hearts and our minds all the time. We'd be talking about him all the time. And then he goes so far there after, as just, just like this expert of the law that we just read about here. When this expert of the law, when he asked Jesus which was the greatest commandment, his reply was wonderful because Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God. Now, you can put your name in there. John, Jack, Bob, Susie. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not part of your heart. And with all your soul. Not part of your soul. And with all your mind. Not part of your mind. And with all your strength. Not with just one hand or one finger. But with all the strength you have. And the second of those commandments is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Jesus then said that the second commandment is like the first. When you love God, your love for others will be like your love for God. 
the second is like the first. The more you unconditionally love God, the more you will unconditionally love others. To those whose attitude is just Jesus and me, I say it is wonderful you found Jesus, but you cannot truly have him and simultaneously not do what he says. The outgrowth of love and faith in Christ is love and faith like Christ, which means we are committed even as he is to his people. Now then, if you say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and all those things, but yet I ask you about a person or something that I know you may have a resentment toward, and you say, oh, no, 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 I love them, but yet when you walk into the grocery store, and this is a way you can tell. If you walk into the grocery store and you look down at the end of the aisle and they're pushing a cart, comes down the aisle, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and you're not willing to go down there and shake hands with them or put your arm around them or hug them or talk to them, you are not walking in love. You have not forgiven that person. Now, some people will tell me, well, yeah, I forgave so-and-so. But when you walk into that grocery store and you look down that aisle and you see them down at the other end and they don't see you, you very easily take another aisle because you do not want to come in contact with that person. I'm going to tell you, you haven't forgiven that person. Now, I realize all kinds of offenses are going to come. The reason I realize that is because Jesus in Matthew 24 clearly told us that offenses will come. But he says, do not receive those offenses. So, if Jesus tells us not to receive those offenses, we should not receive those offenses. We should walk in love. Now then, you, the kingdom of God is not in you or in me. It is in us as a group or a church or as a corporate body. We are being perfected into a unit or a body to have the kingdom... We must be committed to one another as individuals and as churches. Now then, if our Lord Jesus Christ accepts us while we are still imperfect, we must also accept one another. The people who possess the kingdom of God in its reality are people who overcome the obstacles of each other's faults. They'll help each other. They'll help them become what God has called them to be and what has he called us to be. He has called us to be a living organism. He has called us to be the living body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are living stones in the living body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are alive and well, or at least we're supposed to be. And we're supposed to be producing fruit out of that love. Remember, the goal of pulling down the stronghold of cold love is to see the oneness of Christ's body revealed. You will be challenged in this. But if you persist, you will discover the heights and depths of 
the length and breadth of Christ's love. You will become a body filled and flooded with God himself. Now then, if that cold love continues to persist, you will slowly but surely begin to fall out of love with man and with the Savior. And when you do, you are known as a backslider. Now, so many people that I run into or come in contact with every day on a day-by-day basis will say, when I ask them, where do you go to church? Are you a Christian? Uh, yes, I'm a Christian. Good. Praise the Lord. You're my brother or sister in Christ. Where do you go to church? Well, at the present time, uh, I, I'm not going. I'm looking for a church. Well, how long have you been looking? Uh, well, about three years. No, you're a liar. You're not looking for a church. Your love has become cold. You're one of those the enemy has a stronghold of cold love. He has deceived you. You're out of church, and he has won the victory, and you as a son or a daughter of the king have been defeated. Whatever you do, don't let the enemy continue to deceive you and keep you in this state of cold love. Get in there. Be on fire for Jesus. Do some wonderful things for the kingdom of God. Now, if you will continue to walk in this love and not let your love grow cold, the, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you, and he will speak to you in many different ways. They speak to you in things like dreams and visions. And much of the things that will be revealed will actually come through our capacity to perceive correctly. The scriptures tell us that Jesus perceived the thoughts of men in his spirit. So also, we can do these things if we will move into divine discernment, if we will walk in love. Our view of life must be purged of human thoughts and reactions. The beginning of true discernment will not come until we crucify our instincts to judge. This takes many months and usually even years of uprooting all thought systems that have not been planted in the divine soil of faith and love for people. Folks, you must learn to walk in love. To appropriate this discernment, which is in the mind of Christ, which is in 1 Corinthians 2, we must first find the heart of Christ. The heart of love, the heart and love of Jesus is summed up in his own words. In John chapter 12, he says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. What did the Savior come to do? He came to save the world. Now, spiritual discernment is the grace you see into the unseen. It is a gift of the Spirit to perceive what is in the Spirit. Its purpose is to see into the nature of that which is veiled. But the first veil, which must be removed, is the veil over your own heart. We must see ourselves in a measure of our need. For the capacity to see into that which is Outside comes from Christ revealing that which is inside. Jesus demands we understand our own need of his mercy so that out of the grace 
which we have received, we can compassionately minister to others. In this process, we will discover the depravity and selfishness of our carnal nature. We will know thoroughly that the gift of discernment is not a faculty of our mind. Now then, remember, for all these things to work, you must walk in love. So get rid of that cold love. Don't let the stronghold of cold love get a hold on you in these last days. Walk in a warm, hot love before God. I would invite you to call me for teaching tapes, 940-242-2106. Also, I'd like to invite you to our church every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m., at 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. We are in a warehouse complex, so come expecting a miracle. It starts at 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener again today with the Living Savior. Let's come to our mighty, wonderful, heavenly Father. Father, We praise you and thank you and worship you, Lord, for the beautiful, wonderful things that you do for us and for the mighty word of the living God. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you that you are our Lord, our God, our healer, our deliverer, our provider, our strength, our prosperity. You are our everything. Lord, we praise you for this day. Now, Lord, as the word goes out today, help us to learn how to walk free of these strongholds. Help us to learn how to walk in love. Lord, we need to know how to walk in love. So we need to become like you. And we worship you and praise you and thank you for this beautiful, magnificent, glorious day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're still talking about these strongholds uh, that, gets, that the devil gets into our minds And I'm telling you, this stronghold of cold love that we've been talking about the last couple of days, you know, you must be ever conscious that Christ's goal is to save and not judge. Because when we get into this cold love, if we're not careful, we get into judgment. We begin to judge everybody. We are called to navigate the narrow and the well-hidden path into the true nature of, of men's needs. If we would truly help men, we must remember we are following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now then, to walk like Jesus did is, is, a, is a pretty good requirement. This foundation must be laid correctly. For if you will discern, you cannot react. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes here is very, very difficult to do. I've not done a very good job of this myself, but in some cases, it's easier for me than it is for others. But some people, it just know how to push your buttons. But this is what we're trying to do is learn how to not let our buttons be pushed. Now, then. To perceive, you must make yourself blind to what seems apparent. 
People may react to you, but you cannot react to them. Now, I'm going to tell you folks, that is difficult to do, to not react when people do everything they can to push your button. The devil is standing there doing everything he can to cause you to react. But you must always remain forgiving in nature, for the demons you would cast out will speak to you in the voice of the man masquerading as the man himself. For this very reason, Jesus said, Whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Now that's in Mark 3. Jesus was prepared in his heart to forgive men before they ever sinned against him. He knew what his mission was and that it was to die for men and not condemn men. We're not only called to be like Christ in our life, but into his mission as well. Now over in John 17, Jesus said, As thou did send me, Father, into the world, I also send them. We are called to go and die that others may live. Therefore, we must realize that before our perception develops, our love must develop until our normal attitude is one of forgiveness, just like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if God will show us the hearts of men and use us to release them from captivity, we cannot react to what they say. As our perception becomes more like Christ himself and men's hearts are revealed to us, we cannot even react to what they think. Now, I'm going to tell you this takes some work. To get to the point where you cannot react when people say things, but when you get to where you can even read their thoughts, when you can begin to perceive the things they're thinking, when you get to where you just know what they're thinking in their heart about you just because of the way they look at you, and you can get to where you do not react, you have absolutely begun to obtain that magnificent, warm love that Christ is in you. Now then, if you do not move in divine forgiveness, we will walk in much deception. We will presume we have discernment when, in truth, we are seeing through the veil of a critical spirit. Very easy to get that critical spirit. We must know our weaknesses. For if we are blind to our sins, what we assume we discern in men will merely be the reflection of yourself. Indeed, if we do not move in love, we will actually become a hindrance to the body of Christ. Now this is exactly what Jesus taught when he said, Do not judge lest ye be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you. And why do you look at this speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take this speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, Jesus says, First take the log out of your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly enough to take this speck out of your brother's eye. Now, that's in Matthew chapter 7. Repentance is the removal of the logs, which are within our vision. It is the true beginning of absolutely seeing clearly. Now, there are many who suppose they are receiving the Lord's discernment concerning one thing or another. Perhaps in some things they are. Only God knows. But many are simply judging others and calling it discernment. Jesus commanded us to judge not. The same eternal hand that wrote the law on stone in the old covenant is writing the law of the kingdom on tables of flesh today. This word, to judge not, is just an immutable final as his ten commandments. It is still God speaking. God plans for you to obey his word. Now then, the judgmental, carnal person always sees the image of himself in others. Without realizing it is seeing himself, it assumes it is perceiving others. Jesus refers to the person who judges as a hypocrite. He said, the Lord is not saying we should totally stop thinking about people. He wants us to be able to help one another. The emphasis in Jesus' command to judge not is summarized in his concluding remark. He says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The way we help is not by judging but by seeing clearly. And we do not see clearly until we have been thoroughly deep and, and through repentance and until the instincts to judge after the flesh is uprooted. We have seen that Jesus parallels speaking to people about their sins with taking specks out of their eyes. The eye is the most tender, most sensitive part of the human body. How do you take a speck out of someone's eye? Very carefully. You must win their trust. This means consistently demonstrating an attitude that does not judge, that will not instinctively condemn. To help people, we must see clearly. We must be able to see where a person's vision is obstructed, develop trust between us and remove their speck, without judging or condemning them. And I'm going to tell you folks, that is very difficult to do. But if you, if you will seek with all your heart to have a heart that does not condemn, and that's so difficult to do, if you truly crucify your instincts to judge, and again, I'm going to tell you, that's very difficult to do. But if you will truly crucify your instincts to judge, you will have laid a true foundation for the gift of discernment. For you will have prepared your heart to receive the dreams, visions, and insights from God. 
you will be unstrained by human bias and corruption. Now then, if you can meet that, if you can meet that criteria to walk in obedience to God's word and to overcome all of those things so that people don't push your buttons, and I'm telling you, it's difficult, but if you will work on it, God will use you mightily in the area of discernment. He will begin to open men's hearts to your mind and to your heart. He will let you see things that are happening. He will show you dreams and visions and great and mighty things about the kingdom so that you will be able to discern the different kinds of spirits and the different kinds of problems that we have in people. And then you will be able to make the right kind of decision as how to help those people. But you must walk in love. Walking in love, the enemy will make it as nearly impossible. He will, he will do everything he can to keep you from getting rid of that cold love. The enemy does not want you to walk in that warm, hot love. Because as you do, those strongholds will go away that Satan has in you. And you will get to where you can discern all kinds of things about people. God will even speak to your heart and he will tell you what is wrong with people and what it takes to get them set free. And when you reach that point, it is a wonderful thing. It has a tremendous cost to get there, but it is worth paying the price for. Praise the Lord Jesus. I would invite you to give me a call at 940-242-2106. And I'll be happy to send you CDs or teaching tapes, videotapes on these teachings. We would also, you could get to us on the web at www.tlsm.org. And there you can see listings of several of the audio and video tapes we have. Also, we'd like to invite you to our church, the Living Savior Church, every Sunday afternoon. We have church from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. every Sunday afternoon. It's at 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. Come expecting the Lord to do a miracle. Praise the Lord Jesus. This is Thurman Scrivener. Let's worship and praise the King. Father, we praise you and worship you and thank you this day for the privilege to speak your words over these airways. Lord, I am so grateful for the privilege to speak your mighty words over these airways so people can hear your words, so they can learn who they are and what they can do in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Help us, Lord, to keep ourselves from evil so the evil one cannot touch us. So he will be able to develop no strongholds in us. He'll have no darkness in us. Lord, thank you and praise you that you came and showed us the example of what we could do and how we could do it as men. You became a man and showed us how to walk holy before you so that we literally give the enemy no way 
to become a stronghold in us. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the word today as it goes out. Bless it to the hearts of everyone that hears it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're trying to uh, show someone a problem or you're trying to discuss something, uh, I'm sure that God wants us to learn how to wait and listen. And if we read of the Lord's command in the Psalms, he will tell us, be still and know that I am God. So if what you have to say to someone is very important, you will not let that person continue in their work or in their labors while you talk to them. You will ask for their undivided attention. So also God does not speak to us until we slow down, tune out the static, and give him our undivided attention. Because to walk in true discernment, our hearts must be quiet before God. We must learn how to listen. It's amazing how someone will invite you to their home. They want you to come as a pastor. And they want you to sit down with them and tell them how to get healed. Maybe they're sick and afflicted. Of course, in my case, that's usually why I'm invited to their home. The Lord has given me a healing ministry. And I go and sit down with people and tell them what causes their sickness and disease and be able to show them what they need to do to get their sins confessed and to get free from that so they can get well. And you can go in and sit down with some, and they will have the television on. They'll be listening to the radio, or there'll be all kinds of things, and you cannot get their undivided attention. If you cannot get their undivided attention, you might as well just hang it up and go home, because you will not be able to tell them what they need to do. They will not be able to obtain the information or the discernment that you're trying to get through to them because they are not taking the time to do what God says in Psalms when he says, be still and know that I am God. So if you're going in the name of the Lord and you're trying to get somebody to learn what you're trying to say or tell them, first of all, you must get somewhere where you and that person can sit down eyeball to eyeball or face to face look at each other and that they can be still and know that you are a servant of God and that you're coming with the word of God. Now we cannot engage in spiritual warfare without first being conscious of God and through him discerning the enemy. All true discernment comes through a heart that has ceased striving, a heart that knows, even in the fiery trial of its personal struggle, that the Lord is God. Now, if you have not reached that point then, you're in a place where that you, you, you will not be able to get through to God. There will be a static in your life that will inhibit your powers of discernment. Your thoughts and, and your reactions will block you from hearing God. Until the uh, motor of the carnal mind is turned off, true discernment will not consistently be yours. You will have to die to personal judgments, your ideas of retaliation and self-motivations. Indeed, Jesus did say, I can do nothing on my own, nothing on my own initiatives. 
as I hear, I judge. He ceased striving. We also must learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. As we stop our striving, as we hear, we judge and discern. Now then, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you something to say to someone, you can absolutely be free to tell them what the Lord says. Now, over in Philippians chapter 1, the Lord says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. What does he say? I pray that your love may abound. Now, discernment comes from abounding love. What in the world is abounding love? It is love that leaps out from us toward others. It is motivated by long-term commitment. It is anointed by sacrificial love. Now then, there is a false discernment that is based upon mistrust, suspicion, and fear. You can recognize false discernment by the coldness around it. False discernment may be packaged in a type of love, but it does not originate in love. It comes out of criticism. True discernment is rooted deeply in love. Now, lots of times you will go by what you see. I think about whenever you're walking down the street one day and you see a young man coming down the street, and I've done this in many places that I've been. Maybe this boy comes out of a beer joint, or maybe he comes out of a pool hall, or who knows where he comes out of, but he's wearing a funny-looking outfit, uh, maybe a, a, a le- partially leather or whatever, and all kinds of signs on it and pictures and, and everything else. And maybe the guy's got earrings hanging out of both ears, Maybe he's, or maybe he's got several of them, and maybe he's got tattoos all over him and everything else. And if you're not careful, immediately you will judge that person. Now, we need to learn to see beyond this person. Because if we go by what we see, we will discern wrong. Now, you'll have to learn to look at this boy beyond what you see. You'll have to learn that God loves this young man. And this young man could be a wonderful man of God. In fact, I know many, many uh, men, some of them are older now, but some young men, but even some older ones that used to be gang members, motorcycle riders. They had uh, all kinds of tattoos and all kinds of stuff on them. Well, those tattoos are permanent. Once you put them on there, they're there. But these men are now men of God. They're going across the country leading people to Christ. And uh, great things are being done by these men. But if you didn't know when you see these men out somewhere by yourself, your discernment would be false. So whatever you do, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, righteous judgment is the direct result of love. If you cannot pray in love for a person or the church, Do not presume you have true discernment. Love precedes peace, and peace precedes perception. Without love and peace in your heart, your judgment will be overly harsh. Regardless of the smile upon your face, 
your heart will have too much anger. False discernment is always slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Now, that's false discernment. Now, if you're not careful, you'll get this wrong. This is false discernment. False discernment is always slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Now then, if you start talking to someone and they immediately break in on you, you you understand where they're coming from. But it's very difficult for you to walk in love in those kind of places. Now then, there is a tension that underlies this false discernment, an anxiety that pressures the mind to make a judgment. True discernment emerges out of a tranquil and pure heart, one that is almost surprised by the wisdom and grace in the voice of God. Remember, our thoughts will always be colored by the attitudes of our hearts. Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. He also said, Out of the heart of men precede evil thoughts. So you see, you have to be very careful. Now then, he said that in Mark chapter 7. Again, he said, the pure in heart shall see God. Just think, if you're pure in heart, you shall see God. From the heart, the mouth speaks, the eye see, and the mind thinks. In fact, Proverbs 4 tells us that out of the heart flow the issues of life. Now, life as we know it is based upon the condition of our heart. This is very important because the gifts of the Spirit must pass through our hearts before they are presented to the world around us. In other words, if our hearts are not right, the gift will not be right either. When the heart has unrest, it cannot hear from God. Therefore, We must learn to mistrust our judgment when our heart is bitter, when it's angry, and when it's harboring strife for any reason. The scripture tells us to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Because he told us that in Colossians 3.15. To hear clearly from God, we must first have peace. Now then, One handful of tranquility is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. That's in Ecclesiastes 4.6. There is too much labor and toil in our minds, too much striving after the wind. If we want discernment, we must become aggressively calm. This is not a passive state of mind, but an expectant, focused waiting upon God. Discernment comes from our sensitivity to Christ in the realm of the Spirit. It comes from love in our motivation, peace in our hearts, and a paused and waiting attitude of mind toward God. Though a, through a life so prepared by God, the gift of discernment is revealed. So if you want to hear from God, you must walk in love. There is no exceptions to the rule.
If you'd like to have teaching tapes on these subjects we talk about, just feel free to call us. We'll be happy to send you the CD or the uh, audio tape. Our phone number is 940-242-2106. Also invite you to our church at 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoon at 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas. 10-921 Shady Trail in North Dallas.